listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Uh, Turn with me, if you have your Bible or if you're taking notes, maybe you're just listening, uh, you can go back later if you want to get this off the replay. If you do, please, people that are watching, let's put these references in the comments so people can uh, take these notes and then come back later if they're working or something and get the references. Love you, Joe. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Um, But I want to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, um, and I'm going to teach today. Hey, Ben Full, can't wait to see you in a few days. I'm going to teach today on um, a startling truth about spiritual warfare that you really won't hear. You won't hear it often in Pentecostal churches or charismatic churches. Um, Really, as I said on on my Instagram story, really, if you ever hear it at all. Um, and, And I want you to hear me if you're watching this and you're not familiar with our ministry Um, or even my family, uh, I'm not teaching this because, you know, I'm trying to ignore or deny uh, the reality of the spirit realm. No, without question, the spirit realm is very real. Uh, Demons are real. Angels are real. Uh, The power of the Holy Ghost in you is very real. Um, And so I'm not doing this. There's no, in no way am I, as you listen to everything I'm saying, let me preface by saying Uh, there is spiritual warfare and it is very real. I'm going to talk about it today. Um, but the, the, the sad thing is so many Christians have over spiritualized things that it gets kind of pushed into this, um, ethereal spiritual place that never really gets dealt with because either they're waiting on God to do something or you know, whatever it may be, or that, you know, they just chalk it up to like, there's just a spiritual attack and there's just spiritual things going on. We don't understand it always. And, and so it gets to be in this like limbo place, uh, where we don't really truly understand what's going on. Uh, and we don't understand, uh, you know, why we're dealing with things or how to deal with them properly. And so that's what I want to deal with today is what is the, the proper way to view spiritual warfare And what is this uh, startling truth we're going to hear this morning that you won't often hear in churches because it needs to be taught from the scripture and clearly. And, um, and so we're going to do that. And I'm starting in second Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to read from verses one through six to start. And then I'm going to give you some other passages to help you as well. Morning, Caitlin. Uh, And so second Corinthians 10, let me read verses one through six to you. And, um, and then we're going to talk about what this means. Okay. Paul's obviously defending his ministry here from people that have, you know, false teachers and false apostles that have mocked him. Um, but let's, let's read what he says. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. (laughs) You see what he's saying? Like, I don't want to have to be harsh with you like I'm about to be harsh with some of these people that say that I'm just walking in the flesh. Verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We're in flesh bodies. We're still flesh people, but we don't war in the flesh. You can't kill a demon with a gun or a knife. It doesn't work that way. So he says then in verses four and five, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. See that? I'm going to read that verse four again. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And a lot of times we will um, read that verse when we're talking about spiritual warfare. Most people are, are, are familiar with the King James Version. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. 
And we're, we're used to hearing that, but a lot of times we'll quote that or read that and stop there. But I want you to keep on going to the end of uh, the thought, even before the paragraph break. Uh, verse five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And watch this. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Verse six, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So let me, let me just give you those six verses and let's break this down. Notice that he said, well, he didn't stop by saying that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. He said, we notice that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We do that. And we take every thought captive and make it obey Christ or to obey Christ. We take every thought captive. So I want you to right off, right off the bat, I want you to see something here because this is a, this is a vital truth. Notice Paul, though he's referencing spiritual warfare here, he is not doing it in such a vague way that people are like, well, I don't know, you know, how these weapons of our warfare should work. He goes on to explain that first of all, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive. So part of spiritual warfare, watch this now, and I want you to write it in your notes and write it in your comments. One of the major things that you need to do as you're engaging properly in spiritual warfare is to take every thought captive. Put it in the comments. Spiritual warfare starts by taking every thought captive. Put that in your notes. Put that in your uh, in the comments. Um, spiritual warfare starts by taking every thought captive. That's what Paul's teaching here. You, you got to look through these things in in context. Good morning, Barbie. And so get that. Spiritual warfare starts by taking every thought captive. That's that's the the big takeaway here right off the right off the bat. Destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Here's the question. Where can we get knowledge of God? That that's a good question because uh there you, you might get several different answers from several different several different people. Where can we get knowledge of God? The answer to that question is only in his word, only in his word. The only place that you will gain knowledge of God is in his word. Some may argue and say, well, Paul said in Romans one that, you know, nature, as we look at nature and the world that God created, that we can gain knowledge of God. No, Paul was just making the argument that nature alone is enough for people to understand that there is a God that you can't look at nature and creation and deny that God exists. And so Paul is making the case in Romans one, this condemns them because you can't go around. Even if you've never heard the gospel message preached, Paul is making the argument that just by viewing nature, people are condemned if they say there is no God, because you can't look even at the creation and say, there's no God. Paul said, it's enough proof to condemn those who do not believe, but you can't gain knowledge of God, uh, from nature that's subjective, but you can gain knowledge of God from his inspired, inerrant, indestructible, according to Jesus word, the heavens and the earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It's indestructible. It's eternal. And so how do we get knowledge of God from the word of God? So notice what he says here. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. You can't do that if you don't have the knowledge of God. So it comes from his word. So get this now, as we are engaging in spiritual warfare, one of the major things that you have at your disposal, if not the most, I would say the two major things, obviously are the word of God and the spirit of God. And I'm going to show you that from another passage in just a moment, the word of God and the Holy spirit of God. 
Amen. And so look at this now. He said, you destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So notice here, Paul's giving us a very uh, clear picture of what that looks like, even as other false teachers and false apostles are calling him false and saying that he walks in the flesh and that he, you know, and, and they were coming after Paul left and right. And he would just go to war. He'd go to bat with it. But I want you to see, Paul makes this statement that though the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are, I'm going to read this part again. They, they do contain divine power to destroy strongholds. So it would be wrong to say, well, you know, there's no such thing as spiritual strongholds. Well, Paul says there is. Paul says there is. But let's jump over to Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to learn some more about uh, spiritual warfare. But it's not going to be what you think. It's not going to be what you think. Because one of the things, in fact, before we go to Ephesians 6, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. This would be a good place to, to continue. Then we'll go to Ephesians 6. And then I'm going to show you something that may interest you. In fact, I know it will because it goes totally against what everybody else teaches today and believes today, you know, and and it needs to be said. It needs to be said. So Galatians 5, Galatians 5. Um, And by the way, if you missed our study on the book of Galatians, we have the whole study available. We broke it out from Bible study made simple and put it by itself in Miracle Word University. And you could grab that now. It's the full book study on uh, the book of Galatians, an in-depth verse-by-verse study. And when you get it, you will also learn how to properly study a book of the Bible. We give you the lessons how to do that. Galatians 5, I'm going to start with verse 16. Check this out. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do that you want to do. So hold on, before we go further with that, did you catch that? Did you catch that? The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. They're opposed to one another to keep who? To keep you from doing what you want to do. What what does that mean? So is Paul then saying to, now again, he's speaking to Christians, so obviously this is to Christians. Is Paul saying that uh, you, when he speaks to you as an individual, You really have the desires to do what is good, to do what is right, to do what is holy and righteous? Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. That blows people's minds because uh, that means then that Paul is saying the real you is not your body or your mind. Notice Paul's saying the real you is your spirit. And I want you to put that in the comments. The real me is my spirit. The real me is my spirit. This is a mind-blowing thought because notice he says the same thing even about himself. The real me is my spirit. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9.27. Notice, I discipline my body. Who's the I? I thought your body is you. No. Paul says, I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Did you see that Paul is referring to himself, I, that's his spirit man. It's his spirit that wants to please God. He says the same to the Galatians. It's your spirit man that wants to please God. And notice the war going on in Galatians 5, 17. The flesh nature is warring against the spirit nature. The spirit nature wants to please God. The flesh nature wants to do what pleases itself. So there's a tension. There's a war. And so Paul's teaching about this. And notice, 
Again, this is spiritual warfare. You want to talk about true spiritual warfare, the things that come against people, Paul's dealing with it right here in Galatians 5. This is something Paul's uh, outlining, and he gets very specific, which we're going to see in just a second. He said, these two things are opposed to each other, spirit and flesh, to keep you, the spirit, from doing what the things you want to do. Now, let's, let's outline it. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19, now, the works of the flesh are evident. So he says, it's very obvious what the works of the flesh are. Notice, I, want, I do want you to see this because this, this is interesting. The, these, these are not works of demon spirits, according to Paul. These are not works of demon spirits. These are works of unregenerated flesh. Paul says that the works of the flesh are evident. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let me stop there. Did you notice that Paul is now teaching that these are not works of demon spirits, that these are works of the unregenerated flesh? Because remember something, your flesh will not be renewed or regenerated or glorified, if you look at the way the Bible says it, until that day when Christ returns, right? It's not going to happen for your physical body until the day Christ returns and the dead in Christ shall rise from their graves. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up and to meet him in the air, right? And so it's not going to be until our bodies are glorified in the resurrection that our flesh is made new and regenerated. Right now, only our spirits are renewed. The new creature in Christ Jesus, right, that you, that you see, the new creature is your spirit. Your flesh is not a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're, if it was, it wouldn't have to be subdued every day. Paul's flesh was the same, as I just read to you. Isn't it interesting that Paul's flesh also had to be subdued every day? Your flesh, my flesh, has to be subdued every day. And so that's because it's not renewed. It's not regenerated, right? And so your spirit man is the new creature in Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting that though you may have more joy, though you may smile after you get saved and you have fullness of joy, fullness of peace, you still look the same on the outside, right? I don't leave the altar after praying the salvation prayer and you know, I look this way, but man, once I walk away from the altar, I'm gonna have a full head of hair. My facial construction's different and I'm just a whole new person. No, no, no. You're the same on the outside, but you're changed on the inside. So watch this now when it comes to spiritual warfare, your spirit's renewed. Okay. Your flesh is not, it must be subdued and your mind has to be renewed. Amen. Amen. And that's why the Bible says, uh, and we, we, we talked about this, this being our year of transformation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. And so the spirit is uh, already made alive. The flesh must be subdued and the mind renewed. That's an easy way to remember it. Helps that it rhymes. Put it in your notes. Put it in the comments. My flesh must be subdued. My mind must be renewed. My flesh must be subdued. My mind must be renewed. Amen. I'm going to say it one more time. Put it in the comments. Put it in your notes. My flesh must be subdued and my mind must be renewed. No question about it. And the Bible teaches it because according to Paul, these things are not works of demon spirits. They are works of the flesh, works of the flesh. Let me read them again. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And really, if you look at this Greek word, it's interesting. Those who do such things. You know what the actual Greek is? It's an ongoing. It means those who make a practice of doing these things. Well, not because people read that and they get all condemned and think, man, I've done one of those things one time. I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what the passage is saying. The Greek here is those who make a practice of doing these things. Those that live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not. And so notice again, these are not works of demon spirits. They're works of the flesh. So your greatest, the beginning place of spiritual warfare is what? As Paul taught, 2 Corinthians 10, taking every thought captive and making it obey Christ. Amen. Taking every thought captive. You'll have thoughts. Trust me, you'll have thoughts. Just because, I mean, everyone, raise your hand in the comments. Though you're a Christian, you have thoughts that you have to take captive. No question. There are, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't face temptation. On the contrary, Jesus faced temptation. Everyone, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet never sinned. Every Christian faces temptation. But that's where people don't even think about this. That's, it. that's one of the major parts of spiritual warfare is dealing with temptation. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought. And that means, what does that mean? You have control over your thoughts. You have control over your flesh. Hallelujah. It's powerful. It's powerful. Let, let me show you now. Let me show you something as we keep going. Because he doesn't stop with the works of the flesh. He goes to the fruit of the spirit. Notice. He said, those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So there it is. Every one of us has a responsibility to keep in step with the Spirit. That's one of the major points of spiritual warfare that nobody talks about. Nobody talks about. Notice, uh, you can speak in tongues all day long, but you didn't get filled with the Holy Ghost to speak in tongues only. That's the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't care what any of these new preachers say. That's Bible. I mean, you, you go read the narrative of the book of Acts. There wasn't a time people got filled with the Holy Ghost that they did not speak in tongues. Even in Acts chapter 8, it's, it's uh, insinuated. You know, what could Simon the sorcerer see happening in the, na in the natural realm that he saw it happen and was like, man, I want that power. Had to be an outward evidence of an inward work. When you get filled with the Holy Ghost, it's on the inside. But in Acts 2, they spoke in tongues. In Acts 10, they spoke in tongues. In Acts 19, they spoke in tongues. And I believe in Acts 8, they spoke in tongues as Peter and John laid hands on them in Samaria. So uh, it's the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but that's not why. Jesus told us why we'd get baptized in the Holy Ghost. He said, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. No, Sean Griffin, I've done whole broadcasts on that. Christians cannot be possessed by demons. So notice, you shall receive power. That's the point of getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. You shall receive power. Power, power. Did you ever notice that Jesus didn't perform any miracles in his ministry? Not one miracle until what? He got baptized in the Holy Ghost. That was the, that was the starting point. That was the kickoff point for the miraculous ministry that Jesus had. He was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended upon him and he was filled with with the Holy Ghost. 
And the Bible says in Luke chapter four and verse one, and he was led into the wilderness full of the Holy Ghost. After 40 days of fasting and prayer, Luke 4, 14, and he returned from the wilderness in the power of the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so then he began to do miracles. The first one, turning water into wine. And so Jesus' ministry of miracles didn't even begin until he got filled with the Holy Ghost. You, you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power, not just over the devil, you receive power over your flesh, power over your mind, right? And so I want you to see this very powerful because he says here that uh, if you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh, right? The lusts of the flesh. So here's the powerful thought about this is that you have power to control the desires of the flesh. Now, is it the enemy's desire that you do those things? Yes. Can he make you do them? No, he can only tempt you. And it's a work of the flesh, right? So, so I want to show you something that most people never talk about this ever, but in first Corinthians five, um, <laughs> because I agree, I'm looking at, uh, you know, people talking about this movie that just came out, you know, come out in Jesus name, all these Christians being, having demons cast out of them and all this nonsense. Uh, and it's not found in the, anywhere in the new Testament that demons are, are inhabiting Christians or that Christians need to be cast out of demons. It's not anywhere in the, the writings of the apostles, uh, or after the resurrection of Jesus It's just not there. But in first Corinthians five, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing. Now, this is something I want you to write down and put in the comments, because this is a quote from today. It's a dangerous thing to relegate all problems to demonic forces. It's a dangerous thing to relegate all problems and attribute them to demonic forces. Dangerous thing. Everything's not a deliverance. And I, and I, and I'm not saying this because I don't believe in the apostolic gifts and I'm a cessationist and I'm a, a, a reformed, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm Pentecostal. I'm a continuationist. I believe in the apostolic gifts. I believe they're still at work today. We see these things in our ministry, miracles, signs, wonders, and demons cast out. I see all those things. My family sees all those things. My father, my uncles, my cousins, we ha our family operates in that type of ministry, but not everything is a deliverance. Not everything is a deliverance because as Erica says in the comments, it can bring fear and paranoia. You got preachers now because these stupid teachings and these stupid movies coming out, you got preachers asking one another. I had Robert, he joking with me on Superphone before, before the broadcast started about checking each other for demons like these. It's like, you know, if you don't, if you don't know whether or not you have demons, you got, you know, it's, it's a problem. You're a preacher and you don't know if you have a demon or not. That's crazy. It's a dangerous thing to relegate everything, all problems and attribute them to uh, demonic forces. So it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Slingshot kid saw somebody casting out a demon from someone's father's side three generations back. Oh, I've heard the teaching. You got to time travel in the spirit back to the place where the demon entered your bloodline. And you got, it's like, dude, that's not in the Bible. You are making stuff up at this point. You are simply making stuff up. I mean, making stuff up, pulling it out of your rear end to have something new for your YouTube channel. It is weird, dude. It's not in the Bible. No, I'm, I'm not down with it. First Corinthians five. Here's an interesting passage because, uh, Paul gets a message or notice about something going on in the Corinthian church. And again, Please remember that as we read these uh, two letters to the Corinthians, that they were the most immature church in the New Testament, most immature church. Paul called them infants in first Corinthians three said, you're infants. I can't even give you meat, solid food. I got to give you milk. And I wish you would grow up so that I could give you solid food in the spirit, but you remain infants over and over and over. And so they are extremely it's extremely frustrating because they're so immature. But notice Paul says this 
in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, let me start at verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So here's a man in the Corinthian church sleeping with his stepmother. A man has his father's wife sleeping with his stepmother. And he said, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Right? Let him be removed. I, I can't imagine Zach. He said, can you imagine him writing a letter to some churches today? I can't. Because here's one. Here's a dude sleeping with his uh, mother-in-law, or not mother-in-law, his stepmother. Uh, and, and the Bible says, even pagans don't do this. It's reported in your church. Now, let me, let's focus on something here, because Paul was all about spiritual warfare. Let's focus on something that Paul did not say. Because if you, if you look at it the way these people all preach it today, but buddy, we should have been having a deliverance service in Corinth. I'm getting all my guys. I'm getting the whole prophetic crew together. This is what Paul, you know, according to them, this is what Paul should have done. <laughs> we're getting the prophetic crew together. I'm, and we're coming to Corinth. So get the auditorium, rent the auditorium in Corinth, because we're having a demon casting out service in Corinth with you infants. So I want you to get that dude that's bound by a spirit of lust. And I want you to get him in there. And I want all of the dudes in Corinth that are bound by a spirit of lust. And I want you to get them into that auditorium. I, Paul, along with my prophetic crew are coming and we're going to cast these spirits of lust and these demons out of these guys and get everything back on track. He didn't say that. Paul didn't say lay hands on that dude that's sleeping with his uh, stepmother and, and you cast the spirit of lust out of that guy. He didn't say that. If he doesn't stop it, just stop it. And if you don't stop it, he tells them what to do. Cast, just toss him out of the church. Just cast him out of the church. Verse three, uh, verse two, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Verse three, for though I'm absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. I'm judging him right now. Stop it or get out. There's no demon that needs to be cast out. You know why? Because Paul already listed to the Galatians that the things this guy's doing are, guess what? Works of the flesh. Works of the flesh. A demon didn't enter into him and make him do things, you know, lustful things. No, works of the flesh. So stop it or get out. That's what Paul's saying to this guy and saying to the church. Uh, though I'm absent in body, I'm present in the spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You see that? Cast him out, deliver him over to Satan for the, oh, hold on. Why would we have to deliver him over to Satan if Satan already had control of him through these demon spirits making him do these lustful things? He's not delivered over to Satan. He's not filled with demons. He's operating in the works of the flesh that Paul lists in Galatians 5. That's, that's exactly what's happening. So notice, we, we, we point these things, we relegate them down, we attribute them to demons. Paul said, as inspired by the Holy Ghost, no, they're works of the flesh. So either stop it. So get, get to that fruit of the spirit we talked about. The Holy Ghost empowers you to walk in what? Self-control. Self-control. This is exactly what uh, Paul taught the Galatians. You're empowered by the Holy Ghost to walk in self-control. That means you've got control over your body. You've got control over your mind. Not demons. Not temptations. You have the power to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Hallelujah. You have control over your body. You've got control over your mind. So let me ask you this. If you've got control over your body and mind, according to uh, the power of the Holy Ghost that works in the believer, how would a demon get control? He, he can't kick the Holy Ghost out of you. He can tempt you. The devil can tempt you. 
But again, you take those thoughts captive. You make them. You know what happens? Let me just say this. You know what happens if you don't take the thoughts captive? It's not that a demon jumps into you, Holy Ghost-filled Christian. It's that your flesh is then allowed, right, to do the things it wants to do. Galatians 5. There's always a war going on inside. Your spirit fights against your flesh. The flesh has desires. The spirit has desires. And they fight and they pull. There's tension one to another until one of them wins. Either your spirit man takes control and renews your mind and you take those thoughts captive and control or subdue that flesh or you let those thoughts continue, you dwell on them, you meditate on them and then guess what happens? Your spirit gets subdued and your flesh takes over and does what it wants to do. That's exactly how it works. And that's what Paul was not above it either. That's why he said he had to do it. That's why I have to, he said, I have to do it on a daily basis. I have to do it on a daily basis. Put my flesh under, take control. That's why the Bible says we have the authority to set our mind on things above, not on things of this world. You set your mind. Where do you want your mind to be? Set it there, set it and leave it. Amen. I'm sure this has been used in every youth group in America, but I'll say it again. You set your mind like you set a thermostat because you might come into a room and it's 75 degrees in a room and you want it cooler in the summer. So though the room is 75, what do you do? You can't take authority over the, over the temperature in the room. You go to the thermostat and you set it to what you want it to be. I want it at 70, right? And then as you set that, it brings the whole room down to the place where you want it to be. Your mind is the same. You take authority over your flesh. You take authority over your flesh and you renew your mind. Now, I disagree with this YouTube channel that's commenting. Jonathan Kleck, general curses are from Satan and hard to get out of unless you have understanding. I don't. I don't necessarily agree because you cannot be cursed as a Christian. The Bible teaches very clearly that you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here's the bottom line. Even in the Old Testament, the prophet Balaam had to say, I cannot curse what God has already blessed. There's no demon that has the authority to curse a Christian there's no, there's no precedent for it. There's no demon that has the authority. Even Satan himself does not have the authority to curse Christians. You cannot curse what God has already blessed. How do you think a curse would have authority over me? I'm not in strong delusion. I, I, I encourage you to point me at one New Testament scripture, one, just one, where Christians are cursed. Please show me one passage in the New Testament where Christians are cursed. And see, here, herein lies the problem. That we've got a whole generation of people that are trying to do theology outside of the Bible. Outside of the written word of God. You can't make up your own theology. You can't make up your own theology. You can't just decide, yes, Christians actually are operating under generational curses. Where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the New Testament? How come Paul never wrote to the churches in his epistles and told them uh, how to deal with generational curses? Why is it that you don't see any of this teaching from Peter or Paul or John to the New Testament churches? Why aren't there whole books or letters written to churches explaining to them how to deal with generational curses? How come we don't have uh, any kind of instruction from the apostles that uh, how to literally um, deal with all of these demonic presences, right, that are somehow inhabiting your home and your body and your family members? And uh, why don't we have any examples of Christians having demons cast out of them? Or, or going to deliverance services or having, uh, you know, uh, deliverance done on them. Why don't we see that in the New Testament, uh, in the scripture? The reason we don't see it 
is it's because it's unnecessary because Christians cannot be uh, possessed by demons. They don't need deliverance from demons in that way. And so uh, what does Paul teach instead of that? What Paul teaches instead of that is that your spirit man is empowered by the Holy Ghost. In fact, you read his letter to the Romans, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your physical body. He then says to the Corinthians that your body is a temple or the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, dwells in you, makes his home in you. And so one of the things you got to understand is that if the Holy Spirit is inhabiting you and empowering you, then there is no devil, including uh, no demon, including Satan himself, that can do anything to stop the power of the Holy Ghost that's in you. It's not there. And so though this Jonathan guy keeps uh, commenting in the comments, he still has yet to provide one verse of scripture. You know why? Because he can't. Because there is none. And that's what you'll get with all of these guys. That's why these, these foolish, and I will say foolish movies like come out in Jesus name. I believe in casting demons out of sinners. I do not, as these guys claim, believe in casting demons out <laughs> of, of Christians. You know that your argument is weak when you're trying to build theology by saying, just look up the word image in Strong's Concordance. <laughs> What do you think people did in the early church, Jonathan? Or do you think that the Apostle Paul was like, well, you got my letters, but you didn't look it up in the Strong's Concordance. And so because you didn't look it up in Strong's Galatians, you don't understand what I'm actually talking about here. Pull out your Strong's. <laughs> and so, and the funny thing is, I've begged and begged these guys on many broadcasts to produce even one passage of scripture. I've begged for it. But see, they don't have it. And the reason they don't have it is because it's not there. So they have to keep making up reasons why they're doing the things they do or going through the things they're going through. They have to make up reasons that don't really exist because it's not in the Bible. And so they have to fabricate theology out of stuff that's not there. And it's really sad. It's a slap in the face to the blood of Jesus. It's a slap in the face to redemption. It's a slap in the face to the power of God that indwells the believer. Slap in the face. Because what you're truly saying is the blood of Jesus is not enough. The Holy Ghost is not enough. So you need to find some other way to make it happen. And it's not in the Bible. And sadly, Paul didn't get these guys together and say, well, we're getting ready to have a deliverance service in Corinth. Get these guys together. We're going to cast these demons of lust out of every single one of them. <laughs> as, 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 somebody, as somebody told me happened in a, in a Bible school chapel one time, if, you, if, you have, if you've got, if you've got a, a spirit of lust, come to the altar right now. Come to the altar right now. And all these young men came to the altar and the person, the person went down the line, casting it out by laying hands on their private parts, going all the way down, the, all the way down the line. Come out in Jesus name. You spirit. Of, I was not aware that the spirit of lust inhabited or lived in the private parts of a man. I didn't know that, but apparently that's where they are. If you're dealing with the spirit of lust anyway, um, <laughs> there's, there's a reason there's a reason Paul didn't have a deliverance service. There's a reason Paul didn't run back to Corinth and start casting demons out of all these Christians. It's because it wasn't necessary. It did happen, Zach Wilson. It did happen at a Bible school that if I told you the name of it, you would know it for yourself. But there's a reason Paul didn't do it. It's because of the fact it's unnecessary to do it. You have the power of the Holy Ghost to walk in self-control. Karen apparently is at the gym. I I dropped my dumbbell. <laughs> uh, and so, very interesting. But um, it's a work of the flesh. And so Paul teaches that you can uh, take control over your flesh. Take control. Take control over your mind. Right? Um. Jonathan, what you would do well to just go back and watch the broadcast that I did called Can a Christian Be Demon-Possessed? I answer all the questions in that broadcast, and it'll help you immensely. And that way you're, 
your mind will become unclouded and you'll get the answers that you're looking for with scripture to back all of the things that I'm talking about and it'll help you immensely. And then you don't have to go through life, um, you know, with, with a subpar understanding of the scripture and a subpar understanding of the Christian life and how you're a called to live. So go back and watch. So Paul says, stop it. Stop it. Let me, let me go to this before we pray. Ephesians six. Now Paul said, taking every thought captive. So how, what, what does really constitute spiritual warfare? What does that look like for the believer? Well, um, the Bible says in uh, Ephesians six ten. finally be strong in the Lord. Again, please put these references, um, in the, in the comments so that people can get them later. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And by the way, before I read the rest of this, let me say, that's why I do my very best to fill these broadcasts with scriptures. That's, that's why I do my very best to fill these broadcasts with uh, multiple passages of scripture. And we break it down in context so people can see. I'm not just teaching something out of my head. I want you to understand how to see the Bible, look at it, read it, and learn, learn how to break it down so you can live in victory. Amen. So very important that you learn these things. It's important to use the word of God the way it's meant to be used and to break it down the way that it's meant to be broken down. And so Paul says, finally, he's closing his letter to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So isn't that powerful? We have access, not just to our own strength, but the strength of his might. I can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's a wonderful access that we have. Gives us an advantage. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Notice that. You can stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We know that but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And as I said at the beginning of this broadcast, I'm not trying to claim there's no uh, unseen realm or no demons or no devil or no uh, demon spirits or, or strongholds or anything like that. I believe in all those things. I believe in deliverance. I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. But one of the things you've got to see is how do we do it? This is what the Bible says. Put on, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. See, this is what's, what's going on with Jonathan. He's unbelted, got no belt on. He's running around with no belt of truth. When you have no belt of truth, then you have nothing to base your beliefs on. This is the truth. The word of God is the truth. The Bible says that this is the inspired word of God with no error. It's not written from the desire of any man that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote it, 2 Peter chapter 1. And if you don't have the belt of truth available to you, if you don't have truth in your spirit, what does the Bible say? That uh, my people are destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Johnny Nobelt is dealing with a lack of truth because that, that's one of the elements, by the way, of the armor of God is that you have to have truth in order to move forward in freedom. If you don't have the truth of God's word, you've got nothing to stand on. You've got no power to overcome. So don't be like Johnny Nobelt, have the belt of truth strapped on, know what the Bible says. Isn't it funny? This is the reason that no matter who logs on to the broadcast, Johnny Nobelt or any of his buddies, I always ask, please give me scriptural references for what you're saying. Give me scriptural references. Show me in the New Testament with the New Testament church, where these things are taught, where these things are happening. And it's, it's funny, isn't it? All of these uh, broadcasts later, we still have no passages of scripture uh, from Johnny Nobelt or his friends. And there's a reason for that. They're deceived because they don't have truth. Move forward with that. Not just the belt of truth, but the Bible says the, also the breastplate of righteousness. Isn't that, 
Isn't that funny? The breastplate of righteousness. So there are two elements that really you'll see throughout this entire armor. Two elements, the word of God and righteousness or holiness. I want you to put that in the comments. The two elements that make up the armor are the word of God and righteousness or holiness. Amen. The word of God and righteousness slash holiness. Yes, Maddie, this is live. Righteousness slash holiness. So catch this in your spirit. As we read through these armor pieces, you're going to be amazed to see it's all stemming from either the word of God or righteousness slash holiness. Look at it. So what was the belt of truth? Well, truth is the word of God. There is no truth outside the word of God. It is the truth. Jesus, who's the word made flesh, said, I am the way, the truth. I am the truth. You see that? So the, the belt is the word of God. Number two, the breastplate of what? Righteousness. So that's righteousness or holiness. Righteousness or holiness. So you can see that there. The breastplate of righteousness. Move on. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by what? The gospel of peace. So what makes up your shoes? The gospel of peace. That's the word of God. The gospel. There's no gospel of peace outside the word of God. This is, or this is where you'll find the gospel of peace. So even your shoes are made up by the word of God. Let's go further. In all circumstances, take up the shield of what? Faith. The shield of what? Faith. How does faith come into any man's life? Any woman's life. How do you have faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's no shield of faith unless it's built by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So again, shield of faith is the word of God with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Not some of them. Do you see that? Every flaming dart fired against you as a believer is extinguished by the shield of faith. Not some, all. Every last fiery dart comes to nothing because of the word uh, that builds the shield of faith that's in your hand. Now look at this. And take up the helmet of salvation. You see that? What is that? Righteousness slash holiness. The helmet of what? Salvation. That's right standing with God. Righteousness, holiness, righteousness, holiness. So the helmet of salvation is your righteousness, your holiness. And then you move on. And you see that? The sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. The word of God. Again, I'll say this. If all God wanted us to do was to defend ourselves, he would have just given us armor and a shield. But God doesn't want you to just defend yourself. He wants you to go on the attack. That's why he also gave you a sword. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. So this is not something that just builds a shield. This is something that allows you to attack. This is something that is a weapon in your hand to attack the attacks of the devil. Attack the attacks of the devil. That's what Jesus did, right? You read when he was in the wilderness uh, being tempted by the devil. And the Bible says the devil tried to tempt him on every uh, point. (laughs) Jonathan's going to be praying for all of us serpents. Um, The devil attacked Jesus at every point. What did Jesus do? Every time the devil tried to tempt Jesus and came against him, Jesus said, it is written. There it is. It is written. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was using the word of God as an attack against the devil's attacks. That's so powerful. How do you, how do you resist the devil? 
and make him flee from you. You know, we get that verse, you know, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee. And people read that and say, okay, submit yourself therefore to God. I know that means to obey the word. How do I resist the devil though? Well, here's the question. How did Jesus resist the devil? He declared God's word at every attack. It is written. It is, and if anything's trying to attack your life, pull the word of God out and begin to quote God's word. No, it is written. It is written in Jesus' name. And and you begin to quote God's word. What has God already said? What has God already said? Confess and speak God's word over your life, over every circumstance, over your children, over your mind, over your body, over your finances, everything, your relationships. It is written. That's spiritual warfare right there. What do you think? Jesus was in the midst of the desert or the wilderness, I should say, dealing with Satan. And that wasn't spiritual warfare. That was spiritual warfare. That was spiritual warfare. Amen. Not trying to find the name of some demon in a book somewhere that's over your city and put, no. Spiritual warfare. Take every thought captive, make it obey Christ. And then what's, what's Paul's methodology? He's saying here, you need to mature in the things of God, get the word in you and submit to the word, mature, get strong. You can take milk until you can get some meat and then stop those things by the self-control given to you by the Holy ghost. Amen. He said, not only the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now look at verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. See, this is something Peter also encouraged us to do. Be sober and vigilant. You've got to be aware. Don't go through life with blinders on and just put life in cruise control and let things uh, come at you as they will. No, be sober and be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But I want you to say this. Though the devil is looking for people that can be devoured, may be devoured, I want you to say this in the comments. I cannot be devoured. I can't be devoured. I'm not digestible. (laughs) I can't be devoured. I'm not digestible. In Jesus' name. I cannot be devoured devoured. No. And so here, uh, what do you add to the word of God? And what do you add to your righteousness, your, your holiness? You also add prayer. According to Paul, you add prayer, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And if you don't know what supplication is, it's uh, another way you could say it's, it's asking God for things to be supplied. I want to be supplied. I'm looking for, it's your requests you're making known unto God, but not just for you, uh, making supplication for all the saints, for all the saints. Amen. And so I'm not just praying for myself. I'm praying for all the saints. I'm staying alert. I'm staying vigilant. I'm staying sober. Amen. And that's powerful. And here's the thing that they won't, they won't talk about often is that too many things are attributed to demons and the devil. Too many things are being attributed to demons. I'm sure, you know, the devils that sit back, they're like, man, I had nothing to do with that. I don't know what in the world he's talking about. I wasn't even in his neighborhood. Wasn't even his neighborhood. If people could see how much could be attributed to the works of the flesh. Listen, you don't, and somebody earlier um, put this in the comments and, and, and it's very true. You're born in, in such a way, uh, the Bible says you're born in sin, shapen in iniquity. The Bible says all of sin fallen short of the glory of God. So you know that you're born in a sinful state. You don't need any help from demons to have your unregenerated flesh want to do sinful things. I don't need help. No one needs help to, to have their flesh want to do things that are displeasing to God. Paul made that clear. You don't need the help of demons. You don't need the help of Satan. Your flesh automatically is in that state. That's why you have to subdue it. 
people acting like there's demons running around, make everybody do everything. Demons aren't making you do things. Your flesh does not need help. Doesn't need help. Now, will the devil tempt you? Of course he will. But even if there was no tempter, you know, I don't have time to get into this, but do you know that's the point of the millennium? That's the point of the millennium is that just so Jesus can show that even with the tempter bound for a thousand years, do you know the Bible says he'll still be judging very quickly sin? How are people still in sin if there's no tempter, if there's no devil? It's the point, the point of the proof is that the devil doesn't need to be around for your uh, flesh to desire to do things that are uh, in contradiction to God's word and God's desire that it's your flesh that also must be renewed, glorified. You don't need the help of demons in order to have temptations. Your flesh is warring against your spirit. Your flesh is fighting against your spirit. That's the point I'm making. So let me just say this, and this is a good way to, uh, before we go to prayer, it's a good way to say this. Put it in the comments. Spiritual warfare starts with me. That's a great way to look at it. Spiritual warfare starts with me. I start by what? I start by submitting myself to God. I start by resisting the devil. I start by taking every thought captive, making it obey Christ. I start by subduing my flesh. I start by walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. I start, spiritual warfare starts with me. That's the biggest thing that you need to do is recognize and, and you know, I'll say what Paul said, that the greatest three things, and I'll read them to you from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says, of course, faith, I'll read, this is 1 Corinthians 13, 13, by the way. So now faith Hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So the Bible's clear that the greatest of the fruit of the Spirit is love, but the most necessary of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Why is that? Because in order to even walk in love with anybody, you have to have self-control because it's easy to walk in love toward people that walk in love toward you. But what about people who slander you and that treat you poorly and that gossip about you and that stand against you and work against you and all? I mean, what about those? What about those that would consider themselves uh, your enemies? It takes self-control to walk in love toward people who don't walk in love toward you. So you know what? Though love is the greatest of these, and it is, you know why? As John wrote, God is love. God is love. When you step outside of love, you step outside of God. That's why the Bible says in 1 John, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar and the love of God is not in you. Why? Because you can't hate people and still claim you love God for any reason. God is love. You got to stay in love if you're going to stay in God. But it takes self-control to stay in love, to stay in joy, to stay in peace, to have patience, right? to be gentle, to be good. It, it takes self-control to do those things. So the most important, it's not the greatest, but it's the most important fruit of the Spirit, self-control. And notice how you get it, by the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. You're not doing it in your natural flesh. This is not a self-help message. It's not a self-help message. You're doing it by the power of the Holy Ghost. And as you do it by the power of the Holy Ghost, you can step out by faith and literally be who God's called you to be. And there's no demon that can stop you. Satan cannot stop you. The fiery darts of the wicked one cannot stop you. You're empowered for victory for the rest of your life. Hallelujah. In fact, we'll finish by saying this and put it in the comments, put it in your notes. I'm empowered for nonstop victory. Just put that in the comments by faith. Even if you're in a place where you're fighting for the victory right now, put it in the comments. I'm empowered for nonstop victory in Jesus name. I'm empowered for nonstop victory 
in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. Yes, you are. Yes, you absolutely are. I'm empowered for nonstop victory. Father, I thank you for every member of the Victory Tribe. I thank you for all those that are watching, all those that are listening. I thank you, Lord, that you've empowered them by your Holy Spirit, who seals their salvation, who dwells in their body, to overcome every attack of the devil, to overcome every temptation of the enemy. I thank you, Lord, that we walk in overwhelming power and victory every day of our lives. We go from faith unto faith victory unto victory. We go from grace unto grace, as your word declares. It's ever forward, never back. We thank you that the path of the just is a shining light that shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. We give you praise. We give you glory for that. I pray you give us a fresh boldness today, a fresh fire to step out and do what we're called to do. Lord, before this first quarter even comes to an end, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd put every one of us in position for what you've called us to do in these final three quarters of 2023, our year of transformation in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.